0: Welcome to the second episode of the World Without Walls podcast produced by the Stop the Wall campaign. Stop the Wall is the Palestinian grassroots movement struggling against Israel's apartheid wall and the settlements. It organizes and mobilizes communities on the ground in Palestine. In 2017, it has launched together with other Palestinian and Mexican movements, the initiative for a world without walls. From a one-time action against physical and systemic walls of injustice, walls, World Without Walls has transformed into a continuous space for movements from across the world to explore the connections with the Palestinian cause and among each other, and for activists in Palestine and Palestine solidarity groups around the world to learn about each other's movements and the interconnections that unite the struggles. We've been doing so through compilation of essays, online photo exhibits, webinars, and more. The series of World Without Walls podcasts will focus on the various forms of injustice playing out in the way states and corporations address the COVID-19 pandemic. For Palestinians, the pandemic has deepened the impact of Israeli apartheid in many ways. From Israel's denial of access to vaccines and the ex- of Palestinian labor to keep an economy afloat while Jewish Israeli citizens are in lockdown, to the fact that for Palestinians the pandemic is a crisis on top of a decades-old pre-existing condition of occupation and dispossession. At the same time, Palestinians have shown incredible capacity to face the new crisis because organizing structures of resistance have already been in place for decades. In this series of podcasts, we would like to invite our guests to help us to place this reality in a bigger picture. We your co-host are Shata Odey from the Palestinian Union of Health Work Committees, who is also a human rights activist and is, the peop- uh, and is part of the people, People's Health Movement, specifically um, directing the MENA region, and myself, um, Chani Desai from the Liberation Pedagogy podcast. Today, uh, we are welcoming our guest Mark Hayward from South Africa, he will help us make the connections and share insights on the underlying injustices that are exposed in the time of this global health crisis and ways to fight for the right to health, particularly speaking about the context of South Africa. Mark Hayward is a South African human rights and social justice activist based in Johannesburg, whose career reaches back into the years before the end of apartheid in South Africa. His political activism commenced in the early 1980s in England as a member of the militant tendency and continued in South Africa as a leader of the Marxist workers' Tendency of the ANC. After South Africa achieved its liberation in 1994, he joined the AIDS Law Project. Later, he co-founded Section 27, a public health interest law center working on the right to education and access to health care, among others. He was also one of the founders of the Treatment Action Campaign in 1998, the AIDS and Rights Alliance of Southern Africa, Corruption Watch, and Save South Africa. He's also the co-founding co-editor of Maverick Citizen, a new civil society social justice segment of the South of South of the South Africa's most vibrant um, and widely read online news uh, source, The Daily Maverick. In September 2020, he was appointed as an adjunct professor at the Nelson Mandela School of Governance at the University of Cape Town, South Africa. So first, um, I would love to thank uh, Mark for being with us today. We're very much looking forward to this conversation and Shatha for co-hosting. And so before we begin, I'm going to turn it over to Shatha to share some more um, insight on health apartheid in Palestine. Shatha, over to you
1: thank you for your introduction and for um, uh, holding this kind of important uh, session uh, related to the apartheid wall and uh, the health condition of the people palestinian people uh, in general um, and uh, maybe everybody uh, follow up uh, uh, that this uh, um, uh, this apartheid wall is um, uh, 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 have a lot of consequences on the uh, Palestinian uh, living in term of uh, uh, social, uh, economic, uh, and uh, in term of uh, uh, the political system in, in general. Added to that uh, the political deviation that occurred in 2006 and the fragmentation of the, of the geographic area of the Palestinian uh, people uh, um, uh, uh, that already uh, divided uh, of, uh, because of uh, Oslo ac- uh, according uh, to area A, A, area B, area C. And this is an extra uh, apartheid uh, having the wall and the extension of the wall and continuation of the uh, apartheid wall that divided the people, uh, limited the resources, limited the people, uh, 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 their uh, um, uh, their right to access, their right to uh, free movement. Uh, there is a lot of difficulty um, uh, to travel from Gaza Strip to uh, West Bank area or to enter Jerusalem, and there is a lot of consequences in on health conditions because the most important uh, uh, services and. Uh, hospitals, the Arab one or Palestinian hospitals are exist in Jerusalem, the more advanced one and any b- people uh, from West Bank or Gaza, when they want to uh, to go for advanced treatment like for uh, open heart surgery or cancer or dialysis, that means he, sh- he needs to go to Jerusalem and w- uh, which, which means that he, they need an, uh, per, uh, security permission. And the um, human rights organization, they document that about 40% of the permissions uh, who are um, uh, given or uh, they uh, submitted to the uh, Israeli uh, uh, security, they are refused. So that's mean they deny the people right to health in, uh, uh, in this condition. Um, and you know that the, all the human rights declaration, the international law and the humanitarian law uh, uh, maintain uh, the right to health at any condition. In terms of Israeli uh, side note, there is everyday violation of the access of, uh, to the uh, hospitals uh, uh, or there is a lot of delay not only for the patient and also for the medical staff, for uh, ambulances, for uh, mobile clinics, uh, and so on. This is, uh, we can talk a lot about people who lost their life because they couldn't access uh, the health services at appropriate time and to the appropriate uh, uh, medical, professional medicals because of this apartheid, because of this, uh, Uh, Wall, uh, um, uh, checkpoints, uh, uh, difficulty in movement, uh, shooting. Um, There is a lot of violation occurred uh, because of the apartheid and because of incubation in in general. And uh, also in terms of uh, the economic part and feeling safe and secure. and uh, uh, always, every, every year, at least at least there's um, uh, three, more than 300 houses are demolished. Uh, um, uh, organization, uh, mainly in area C, mainly in Jerusalem area, or uh, that need a lot of permission uh, to, um, to, to build their, their houses and uh, a lot of money they should pay for that. And so that sometimes people, they build their houses and uh, even they pay the demolition, the, the, uh, the cost of demolition, they pay it by the uh, people themselves. Uh, that means there is a lot of people displaced. Uh, a lot of people, they felt themselves in one day uh, in the street, there is no place to go because, uh, uh, because of their house are demolited or because of uh, other condition related to their political affiliation uh they could uh, lost their uh, their houses. this is kind of collective uh, punishment. Also uh, the relationship and the social uh, fabric uh, inside Palestine uh, also violated and affected. Uh, that's mean the that, um, people in Palestine, uh, because we are uh, very closed uh, communities, uh, we, we have relation, we have marriage uh, relations, uh, uh, you, can, you will find people, uh, who are uh, 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 they are you know uh, connected uh, from the same family living in the area of 48 they can't uh, visit their uh, uh, family in, in the area of 1967 or they we can't see our uh, friends our relative uh, in Gaza uh, because of the apartheid wall even in certain streets and villages uh, around the apartheid bowl, uh, wall they divide the uh, the village or they divide the city so part of it is uh, behind the wall and part of it it's outside uh, people they have when well, they have land around the area of the green line and with the apartheid bowl, uh, wall uh, they they lost their lands the, the the main source of living is agriculture in palestine so many people they lost their land, many people also, uh, 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 when they want to access their land, they need security permission. When you said security permission, mean always there's a compromise. If you need a permission, you should be like a spy or you should give us information. This happened also with the client, with patients. Human rights organization, for example, they document, uh, uh, I forget the percent but at least they said that uh, they told us if you need a permission for a treatment you should work with us you should give us information about blah blah uh, and so on uh, so yes the life is very difficult um, uh, the services uh, uh, when the uh, the, um, uh, the apartheid will exist the services uh, uh, for the people, um, the main service like electricity, water, uh, um, uh, clinics, uh, schools uh, is not that much will uh, uh, exist. Uh, uh, there is always a prevention for the, the development of these uh, uh, services. Um, uh, the Palestinian Authority, they can't reach certain area uh, around the, the, uh, the communities near the wall, or they can't or even reach area that's called Area C because it's un- operated uh, under the security Israeli security. So most of the services provided in this area uh, performed by uh, or conducted by um, uh, NGO and community CBOs existing in the area with a lot of obstacles with a lot of difficulties uh, like us for example as a health work committee uh, we have a mobile clinic that we reach uh, the northern jordan valley we reach the south of the south in hebron in midway communities but because this area uh, is considered area c or, or there is a wall around uh, we need to have a permission and fitting uh, on the staff the medical staff if you have Background uh, as you are being in the jail, or you have certain political affiliation, they will deny, they will not give you a uh, uh, permission to enter the uh, the area to serve the people, to as a nurses, as a doctors, or as a technicians, or educator, or social workers. So yes, there is a lot of obstacles. Our tight wall uh, and uh, affects affects all life. Uh, uh, basic life condition and mainly health. Uh, when, you, when it affects your health, you mean it affects your life. You, uh, the bane off of it is uh, being to, to, uh, you, uh, your diet. And there is cases recorded they died because they do not uh, reach the treatment uh, on appropriate time. Um, I hope that I give a brief description about the situation and about the effect of uh, apartheid wall in our life. And there's a lot to say, but uh, I'll keep uh, time for uh, other questions and discussions and for uh, our colleague uh, Mark also.
0: Um, Thank you Shada for really um, shedding light on how the settler uh, colonial apartheid state of Israel um, is not just uh, oppressing Palestinians, but is uh, ensuring that the collective punishment is also about a kind of elimination of the population, and um, yeah. you know, and the complete uh, um, desecration of all structures uh, for a viable life. So um, it's incredibly troubling to hear yet again how Israel yet violates more and more Palestinian rights and uh, more human rights laws and um, Mark, you know, we're gonna to move to you to, to tell us about the reality in South Africa, um, specifically the situation on the ground there at this moment. And we know uh, also that the South African mutation of the COVID vi- virus um, um, that we've heard about and, 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 um, and, and also the response of the South African president at the World Economic Forum, Um, has called for richer countries to stop corona nationalism um, and to share vaccines. So I'm just wondering if you can provide both um, insight on what the situation looks like on the ground, as well as this um, call uh, for um, richer Western states in particular to to stop this corona nationalism.
2: Right, well, thank you very much. Uh, And first of all, I'd just like to uh, express solidarity Uh, with what Shata has just said, solidarity of activists, human rights activists in South Africa with the Palestinian uh, struggle. We are with you 100%. And I'd like to say that the description that has just been given of the way Palestinian people are treated, to me sounds very familiar to what we lived under uh, with apartheid. With police brutality, with the oppression of a large part of the population, with denial of fundamental human rights. And in our country, you know, when we were under apartheid, we depended on international solidarity from human rights activists. And now that we are free, in inverted commas, because I have to say that we have a long way to go to real freedom, to real human rights in South Africa, but we reciprocate the solidarity that we received with other people who are still struggling for freedom and for liberation and for basic uh, uh, human rights. So for me, it's a privilege to have this uh, interaction uh, and to be on this program. Now, you know, to, to answer your your questions, um, you know, in South Africa, as I sit here today in Johannesburg, um, you know, we face a, a devastating Uh, COVID-19 epidemic, Um, as in many other countries in the world, and I'm sure in Palestine, the people who are paying the price of COVID-19, the people who are paying the ultimate price are the poor, are people who have pre-existing health conditions which are often linked to poverty, and the people who are bearing the responsibility for managing this crisis are the the poor. Uh, uh, It is healthcare workers, mostly black healthcare workers, poor healthcare workers, nurses, who are on the front lines and who every day are losing their lives because they don't have access to sufficient personal protective uh, uh, equipment uh, because of the conditions in which they are expected to work. You know, I think the tragedy with COVID-19 is that COVID-19 has very quickly become a virus that has run down paths of inequality that existed even before COVID-19. We saw those paths of inequality in relation to the AIDS and HIV epidemic in South Africa. COVID-19 has found those those fault lines again, and COVID-19 has now widened uh, those those fault lines. So I think COVID-19 across the globe is about apartheid, it's about walls and it's about uh, uh, inequality. You know, in our country, the the cost of the virus, although officially the numbers of people who've died is about 45,000 who were diagnosed with COVID-19, the number of excess deaths uh, compared to normal, what is normal, is getting close to 120,000. So, although you might hear, you know, that the United States is the worst country in the world, or Brazil, I think the fact that countries like South Africa are not mentioned and other African countries has more to do with poor reporting and to, to do with, with, with the view that our lives are less equal and less important than it may do, have to do with the, with, with the real statistics about where this epidemic is, 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 is playing out. Now, you know, Chandni, you, you asked a question about what our president Cyril Ramaphosa said about uh, global inequalities in vaccine access. And that's a very good question because, you know, we've only heard about uh, vaccines, efficacious vaccines that work for December, January, you know, for nearly three months uh, since since the Pfizer vaccine was announced late uh, in the middle of November. But already in those three months, uh, it has been possible to, to to create a new inequality in the world because in developed countries uh, and in Israel, but not for all people who live in Israel, clearly, uh, uh, millions of people are receiving these vaccines, uh, tens of thousands of people every day. In in South Africa, not one person yet has received one vaccine uh, up to this point. In Africa, across our continent of, of, of well over a billion people, there are less than a few thousand people mm. who have received the vaccine. So, so, so what we see is vaccine apartheid, what we see is vaccine nationalism, what we see is the hoarding of something that should be a public good, something that should be considered a human right as part of the human right of access to health care. A hoarding by rich countries, a hoarding by regimes that do not distribute those vaccines equally across people who live within particular territories, and I think that presents a crisis for the world. It's what the the, the, the director general of the United Na- of the World Health Organization called a, 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 a moral catastrophe. Mm. We face again another moral catastrophe. And the question is, what are we going to do about it? And the last thing that I would say on your introductory question is that one thing that we do know though, is that this inequality, this this selfishness of of the rich and the developed world will come back to haunt people because COVID-19 is not a virus that respects borders. Mm. And therefore, what we should be aiming for is a global plan to vaccinate people against COVID-19. And that way we protect all of the globe, not a selective plan that vaccinates people of developed and rich countries or people who have power in unequal countries.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much, Mark, uh, for um, that um, insight. I'm gonna turn it over to Shata to speak about the structural analysis and parallels uh, um, with Palestine.
1: Uh, thanks, Mark, for uh, briefing us. So when you are talking about uh, South Africa as if you are talking about Palestine. Yeah. Uh, um, really, because uh, we are one of, uh, we are first in, uh, consider a developing country and uh, second is the most important, we are under incubation. And um, with the apartheid uh, wall, with all uh, uh, circumstances or procedures that are uh, admitted by the Israeli uh, forces become, uh, make the conditions more and more uh, difficult. In terms of uh, COVID, uh, um, uh, at the beginning, maybe um, uh, it was uh, something um, new for uh, palestinian uh, and we were discussing as a palestinian we are get used uh, for uh, like uh antifada like the uprising uh we know you your enemy they are in front in the checkpoints here and here you can find, see the settlers you can see the soldiers but here is the virus we can't see it so even we as a Palestinian, we consider ourselves uh, self as courage and uh uh, we resist, but uh, re- uh, the condition of COVID for us, it was like an, uh, something in you, something in you experience for us. And uh, we try to use the experience of resistance and facing with resisting and uh, facing the, um, uh, the COVID. And I guess part of, of it is moral one uh, as Palestinian, uh, because always uh, we raised on how uh, to uh, uh, to look to take care of each other how to be in solidarity with each other like uh, the organization the CBOs the uh, the movements uh, uh, this is part of ethics that we uh, as a people under occupation that we should uh, maintain it um, that's why in the, in the beginning the government uh, they locked down totally the uh, Palestine, and uh, uh, it was very hard uh, on uh, very hard on the people, uh, but uh, that's why the, the cases were very uh, small, like ten cases, twenty cases is nothing in comparison to other uh, systems or other countries in the world. Uh, but uh, uh, on the same time. Uh, um, uh, Palestine has limited resources. I mean, uh, we are Palestinian authority or whatever. Uh, uh, still, we don't have uh, resources. All the resources coming from uh, the people, from the, uh, the worker, from the, uh, the, from the market, economic market, market. And at the same time, during the COVID, the Israeli practice is becoming more and more harsh. They get used, benefited from this opportunity of COVID like the taxes, the taxes of the labor worker, it, it was connected at the same of, uh, uh, of uh, the spread of, uh, of COVID. Uh, many people working in the public sector uh, for like more than five or six months, they took uh, only uh, like one third, um, less than one third of their uh, salaries. Uh, because all the Palestinian money is uh, with uh, the Israeli side, they, uh, they save it because of the political uh, uh, issues. Uh, the other problem that uh, it's become more and more difficult is the worker people who, who works inside the, uh, the area of uh, 48 and how they treat the Arabs and Palestinian workers inside. Um, uh, they they were threatened. If you uh, went back to the to West Bank, you will not you will lose your work. You will not uh, 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 come back to the work again. So many workers, they prefer to stay inside the area 48 and in their work there uh, because they don't want to lose their jobs and uh, there that's why. Most of the cases when spread inside Palestine, it's coming from the uh, workers working inside the, uh, the area of 48 because uh, the Israeli side, they uh, took, um, uh, they were very late in their uh, procedures and in the lockdown. Um, and because we have the same, let's say, the same, uh, uh, the, the same land, the same territories, It's hard if you are in the the Palestinian side, you look it down totally, but there is still people coming from uh, the area of 48 or coming from Jerusalem because the the life is uh, continued normally. So that's why this condition, this pandemic is a global issue. It is not only uh, related to Palestine or related to the uh, area of 48. That's why, uh, some uh, thing uh, some policies that it should be applied uh, applied at that uh, at that time but we, what we see in Palestine uh, there was more and more intensifying uh, policies uh, uh, practices violation against Palestinian against the worker as I said uh, against uh, the, uh, the, uh, the movement, uh, also, uh, at the same time, uh, 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 people, uh, uh, there is a lot of arrest uh, during uh, COVID for uh, many, uh, the, the, the 2019 <clears throat> and 2020 showed how much uh, uh, many people, they were uh, arrested uh, inside the jail and how they treat the prisoners inside you know, many, they always there is a report coming from about Palestinian prisoners, political prisoners, uh, that they uh, they do not have enough and sufficient uh, protection devi- devices or uh, uh, sterilizers or whatever, or nutrition uh, enough for uh, to protect them from COVID. And now there is a spread uh, of COVID uh, between the prisoners inside the, the Israeli jail, um, and also you know you may hear, hear that uh, uh, Israel refused uh, that uh, the Palestinian prisoner to give to give them vaccines, uh, but because of the pressure of the from the Palestinians side, from the Palestinian Authority, international uh, organization and uh, the Red Crescent, WHO, they said uh, we will. Uh, uh, we will do the vaccine, but later stage. On the later stage, this is the issue of that, uh, who should uh, give vaccine for Palestine? Is it the responsibility of Palestinian side or the or Israeli one? We consider ourselves be, uh, as a uh, nation under occupation, the incubator, incubator, power and the Israeli one who are responsible uh, to maintain the civil life and the uh, basic law, uh, rights of the people. Mainly, the, one of that uh, is uh, right to health. So uh, by international law, by uh, 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 Geneva Convention, we are protected by uh, this uh, international law that the, they are responsible to vaccine uh, their community and also the Palestinian uh, people under occupation because we are under uh, the law, they are their responsibility. Even there is uh, Oslo Accord, uh, it will not, um, um, they are still have the obligation, the obligation to to take their responsibility. So maybe the Palestinian Authority uh, till now, they can't, uh, they said they, They bought 400, uh, 4 million uh, vaccine that could cover 2 million people. But what about the rest of the people? Uh, um, Maybe uh, the the donation, um, uh, this is the the issue that Mark says, how much it's a global issue, um, uh, that the the developing country, they uh, they live, they need support from uh, globally, because we don't have resources, enough resources to buy for every Palestinian uh, the vaccine. That's why uh, we should think about um, uh, not na- at national wise, but at the global wise, how all the people they can be vaccinated without any discrimination. Uh, uh, here in Palestine, uh, I, you said that uh, thousands of um, uh, people in South Africa they took the vaccine. In Palestine, only hundreds till now, only the do- certain, the doctors and nurses, not, and not everybody, um, they start with the public uh, sector. Uh, now, the NGO, the private sector, did uh, not have uh, the vaccine yet, because because we can I mean, because we don't have enough. Till now, uh, uh, even the Palestinian Authority, they bought uh, from uh, Russia the 400, uh, the four, uh, four million, and uh, there is um, uh, there's some donation about 10,000 vaccine, for whom, 10,000 vaccine. So there is uh, they are doing now the vaccination, but uh, the four million vaccine also when they will be imported or deported or coming from outside, not only the vaccine, the medication, uh, the equipments, the consumables, uh, the medical machines, because uh, Israeli, they control the border. They control the airports. They control uh, the, uh, the sea, the, everything they control it. So always there is a bureaucracy. There is a delay. And sometimes uh, it stay for taxation for long, long uh, uh, our time. So when we will receive it, I mean, uh, this kind of, uh, uh, this is an incubation. I mean, uh, they control everything. They, um, so they will. It will reach, for example, it would be reach West West Bank. But when it will reach uh, uh, Gaza, the this kind of vaccine and the healthcare system be, before the issue of vaccine is very difficult. Always we face a problem of this issue of uh, the maintenance, the electricity, the uh, bringing the medical equipment from outside the country. Now the problems now become doubled. Uh, because I'm working in an organization, uh, uh, it's a, a health organization. Always we need um, maintenance for our uh, uh, medical supplies, uh, uh, and uh, uh, we got we got certain equipments, uh, medication supplies, uh, machines from outside the country within two weeks, maximum three weeks. Now it took us six month or eight month to 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 receive a ventilator for example i need ventilator in our hospital till now i we purchased this ventilator since like seven months till now uh, we couldn't get it uh, because of this condition and we know the condition in the world but there is another uh, difficult situation uh, in the border uh, in general um, also the uh, israeli they said we are number one in the uh, in between the countries that we cover our population like more than 40 or 50% of our population now they are vaccinated but uh, uh, f- uh, this policy it is uh, it will not uh, save them because we are uh, interacted we are interrelated we are in jerusalem we are here we have workers uh, we are, i mean this is useless policy if not all palestinian Uh, get uh, vaccinated. And uh, yes, uh, we we think that uh, Israeli are responsible for uh, providing uh, the vaccine uh, without and giving the vaccine for all the people uh, without any kind of discrimination, not because we are Palestinian, or we will give the Arabs inside Jerusalem, but we will not give. will not give people uh, in Ramallah. And always they said, "Yes, we will think about it. Maybe in the later stage. When in the later stage, uh, this is one issue. And the second issue, the issue of uh, um, uh, the limited resources for the Palestinian Authority and the limited resources are at the global level. Level now, all uh, uh, countries in Europe, as they want to maintain their health. Uh, system and this vaccine uh, uh, and this spread of uh, uh, COVID uh, shown how much the healthcare system in many uh, countries that they consider them uh, themselves they have a strong uh, healthcare system it, it's collapsed collapsed because of their economic policies because of uh, privatization uh, and. The issue of vaccine, we are afraid that to start to privatize the vaccine. And people who will pay off for this kind of uh, privatization, whether the treatment of COVID or vaccination are the poor people, the old people, people who are uh, marginalized area, uh, people who are unemployed, uh, people who suffer from high poverty uh, level. So uh, everything is I mean connected to each other, politically, economically, the, the policies, the new liberal, liberalism uh, policies that uh, affect the issue before vaccine and now before the vaccine and before COVID, now we, get, we think that this policy we show it, uh, it, it is clear uh, the implication of these policies on the world. These people who um, start to work on uh, preparing this vaccine and, uh, uh, and within six months, we don't know even the effect of the vaccine. All of it is money. Uh, medication and vaccine, uh, it's, uh, it's an investment. I mean, uh, and it, there, is, uh, there will be a lot of return. Uh, for these countries who, and it is it is not a country, it is not a public, it's a private sector, uh, who uh, produce this. So, yeah, things at the at city level and at the global level is uh, very frustrating that the globalization, privatization, um, show how much weak our systems and our care system and they are not well uh, uh, believe in, uh, in humanity and human rights, and consider health as a human rights. It's, it's a business, mm-hmm. it's investment, it is not uh, investment of the social capital, it's investment of the, in the, on the economic issue, not, uh, this is from my point of view, uh, I see things, uh, but uh, really the situation of the vaccine here, it's an an issue, a big issue. And every day you feel that you are the other person. You are not the person, first level citizen.
0: So I mean, just to um, also think through what both of you have said, uh, it's very clear that this is a vaccine with no borders. Um, and as Shada has just mentioned, uh, not just, you know, borders across uh, territories, but also in relation to the prisons. Um, this is in the prison system. and. Um, the prison population, uh, political prisoners, are being denied uh, also their right to health in, in really uh, significant ways. And the role of capitalism, in, in uh, global cl- capitalism, in really uh, shaping the relations, economic, political, social, in um, how this crisis is being uh, managed and the profits that are being um, derived by corporations um, in um, also Uh, distributing um, and not distributing these vaccines and uh, in deciding whose lives are uh, worthy and whose lives are not. So I want to take us a little bit back to the... the Thank you,
1: you, Chandra, for putting my idea in a perfect English. You know that it is not my first language. So yes, exactly, you use the terminology that I should be using.
0: No, I mean, yeah, this is also the professor part of me. I'm an academic, so...
1: (laughs) Then, okay, no, but you get my idea very well, and you will uh, replace it. Uh, this is exactly what I, needed, yeah, I need yeah, to be explained in this way. Thank yeah. you.
0: Um, so actually, I want to take us a little back also to history, Mark. Uh, you know, you were involved heavily uh, with the fight against apartheid and then the struggle uh, for the right to health and access to medication for HIV-positive and AIDS-affected people. And I'm just wondering um, if there are lessons that can be learned uh, from these decades uh, of battle that we should take uh, into the COVID era. And are there, are there specific lessons um, that you would like to share also with Palestinians and the Palestine Solidarity Movement in its struggle against uh, apartheid and for the right to health, um, specifically right now, as Shada has just talked about the urgency of the situation on the ground?
2: Thank you. I think the answer is that there are lessons and, and I'm going to speak more about the lessons of, the, of HIV and AIDS rather than our struggle against apartheid. Although I think you know, what's common to all struggles is that uh, mobilization of communities is critical. Building power in communities is critical. Engaging with the power that oppresses you or that in this instance, that is withholding life-saving vaccines from poor people and developing countries is critical. But if we, if we don't build in our communities, if we don't build strong social movements, then we, we, we will never have that, that, that power and we will never be able to overcome uh, the injustices that we are, we are talking about. You know, I think you have to just cast your minds back uh, 25, 30 years ago at the time that the HIV virus emerged and became part of the world. And you have to remember that HIV for a very, very long time, for 25 years, was also a virus that was marked out by inequality. Uh, uh, you know, if, if, you were, if, if you were gay uh, in a developed country to begin with, Uh, you died of of AIDS. If you were a black person in Africa, uh, you died of AIDS. At the point when there were the development of treatments in 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 the 1990s, the late 1980s, those treatments became available in England, in the United States, in Canada, in developed countries, but were priced out of reach of poor people in developing countries. And therefore, with the HIV epidemic, what we witnessed in its first two decades was a level of death and illness that even COVID-19 has not come anywhere close to yet. I mean, in my country, in South Africa, you know, we lost three and a half million people because of AIDS, three and a half million people uh, from the late 1990s uh, through until uh, uh, today. So so that's why I say sometimes you kind of feel that we've failed to learn the lessons. We failed to heed the warning of the HIV epidemic because we knew that HIV would not be the last global viral pandemic. We knew that because of the climate crisis, because of the environmental crisis, because we know the connection between these issues, that there would be another viral, another global viral pandemic. So, you know, what are the lessons? Well, I think the good news story about HIV was that eventually people's power managed to overcome that inequality because people who were oppressed and people who were marginalized began to organize against that. And they began to organize it at every level. They organized in communities and in village They organized in workplaces, they organized at a national level, and they also organized at an international level, which I think is very important when we talk about uh, COVID-19, to learn that lesson as well. That poor people made a nuisance of themselves in front of the United Nations, that poor people worked with activists in developed countries to protest and to make their their, their voices uh, uh, heard. I think though there were a few kind of key ingredients or parts of a formula of organizing, which I think are perhaps missing uh, uh, at the moment in the response to, to uh, uh, COVID. I think the first thing is solidarity. Uh, you know, What I've heard today about what is going on in Israel uh, is shocking. I don't think that very many people in the world are fully aware of the experience that has been described in this podcast of the inhumanity of the violations of human rights. So so we have to build that solidarity. I don't think there's enough of (coughs) of an understanding yet, amongst good people and activists in rich countries about what our situation is in poor countries when it comes to COVID and the need to act in solidarity and to stand uh, uh, beside us. That's the first thing. The second thing is that I think is missing up to now is that you know, a, a key to our mobilization was learning what we call treatment literacy, was learning the science of HIV. We have to learn the science of COVID. We have to learn the science of vaccine development. We have to learn the science of of COVID treatment when there are more treatments. Because if our demands are going to be made effectively at the tables of power, we have to engage equally at at those tables. And that means that our demands have to be well evidence-based and informed and in, in, intelligent. So, that is, I, I think, a second critical uh, lesson that I would draw in, into COVID. And the third thing that I would say is how do we frame, how do we understand COVID? Um, you know, some people would like us to think that COVID is just a, this virus that emerged in China that is, is, has nothing to do with politics, nothing to do with economics, nothing to do with, 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 with governance covid is a is is a virus whose roots are in politics whose roots are in inequality and that's what we said about aids as well you know the early people who fought aids in new york people like larry kramer i remember you know him saying there's nothing in this bloody aids epidemic that is not political that is not a political issue and increasingly we're seeing There's nothing in this COVID epidemic that is not a political issue. So we have to frame COVID as an inequality question. Mm. We have to frame COVID as a human rights question. Mm. We have to make it clear that that the COVID crisis exists because we failed to tackle the crisis that existed before COVID, Mm -hmm. which meant that this virus could go wild uh, uh, across the world. And I think... And this is the last point I'll make in response to this particular part of the question, is that we have to also frame a forward-looking agenda right. and, and, and vision. Uh, for me, Covid is a crisis like the First World War, like the Second World War, like colonialism, like the end of apartheid. At each of those moments, the world recognized that they had to find a way to do things differently mm-hmm. to what had been done before. COVID teaches us that we have to do things differently. And what worries me is that as we get beyond the COVID crisis, the rich and the elites will want to rebuild society in the way that it was before the start of the COVID crisis. And we can't allow that to happen. So again, it becomes a question about we, and I talk we as social justice activists, as as, as civil society, as poor people, as oppressed people, we have got to build our power, because if we don't build our power at this point in time, then we are going to be defeated by by Covid, as we are in so many, so, so many uh, countries. And, and, and as Shata said, you know what you're describing in Israel, Palestine, you look across Africa, Covid is being used as an excuse of the state to to put people in prison, to take itself more powers, to suppress freedom of movement, to suppress freedom of expression, et cetera, et cetera. So COVID is creating a crisis of democracy as well as a crisis of of, of health. And and that is our our challenge, I believe. Thank
0: you. Uh, Thank you, Mark, for uh, contextualizing sort of the historical um, into uh, making us also think about how this uh, impacts us in the contemporary uh, and the lessons we can build from. Um, I want to ask, actually, I want to, taking your point on building power, um, you know, I, this is going to be a question for both of you, that in the South African uh, movements, um, many of them have reacted to the COVID pandemic with the creation of the Community Action Network, uh, a network of grassroots groups to support people. Um, and this looks quite similar to what has happened also in Palestine when people have organized uh, and the UHWC stopped the wall and others have organized the distribution of few, uh, food, sanitation and other support uh, for the most marginalized. So a lot of these mutual aid networks. Um, and they've used resistance, curfews and crisis under Israeli apartheid um, to find new modes of organizing and uh, distribution. So perhaps if you can tell us um, about the popular organizing in South Africa um, and, and what's going on there uh, to sort of push back against these uh, this world without walls. And then Shada, if you can also talk about some of the popular organizing happening in Palestine that is also pushing against these walls. Um, that would be, I think, a really a fruitful way to also see that we have an analysis of power, but we are also building people power um, and new modalities of, of resistance against um, all of this uh, new um, uh, restricted movement and policies that are also uh, trying to ensure that we, you know, socially distance and, um, um, and and protect each other. So yeah, from Mark to then Shada.
2: Okay. So so I think and, and it's the same with Shada and, and Palestine. If it wasn't for popular organizing. The crisis caused by COVID would be so much worse, because popular organizing and civil society has had to step into the spaces where the state fails to realize human rights and to, to meet uh, people's needs. So in South Africa, you know we had a very, very uh, 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 heavy lockdown, for for nearly two months from from March until May of last year, and we've had other lockdowns since then. It's caused millions of people to lose jobs. It's caused hunger across the country to escalate, child malnutrition to escalate. So the way activists had to start by organizing was actually just by meeting people's needs that were not being met by, by the government. So one of the things that we saw springing up was community action networks uh, that were setting up soup kitchens and and feeding stations and identifying people who were vulnerable and that were linking middle-class areas with poor areas and building solidarity across the internal borders, if you like, of, 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 of cities. And then the community action networks began to link across cities and then the community action networks began to pioneer new food systems, new economic systems, new systems of, 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 of distribution. I, I think that we saw within the community action networks the, the potential for, for different forms of, of social organization. So that those were the, the, the positive things. We also saw, saw NGOs and social movements working more closely together than they had done. Uh, for a long time. So in South Africa we formed something called the C-19 People's Coalition which now has about 400 uh, organizations across South Africa that speak with the same voice most of the time uh, under the C-19 People's uh, uh, Coalition. You know we've seen protests, we've seen attempts to organize uh, strikes and we've seen civil society trying to organize its its own power and I and I think Channi that this is all very positive but I would also say that I still don't feel and perhaps we're only one year into this epidemic that we have built power strongly enough I think I've spent the last three minutes or four minutes talking about what civil society has done well but I also think that COVID-19 has revealed the weaknesses of activists. It's revealed that we work in our silos. It's revealed that we don't strategize enough. It's revealed that sometimes parts of civil society have themselves become elite and disconnected from communities and that we don't spend enough time in working class and poor communities and building power in those communities and having conversations in those communities so 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 for me it requires us to be sober and to be reflective we have to organize whilst we are running and whilst we are dealing with a crisis but really we have to take very seriously what it is telling us about our weaknesses uh, rather than the strengths that we are having to build in the middle of a crisis And, and i'll stop on that point there.
0: just, yeah, I just want to comment before I uh, move uh, to that here is, I think you're, you highlighting, yes, we have built uh, power, but there's also many internal contradictions within our own struggles. And I think the class part of struggle sometimes also has been um, erased or shifted at, in, in particular contexts. Um, and so I think uh, reviving or strengthening uh, some of the class aspects of struggle and, and really connecting it to the other aspects, be it economic, racial, to see, you know, all of this within an interlinked way, I think, is uh, ways to not just strengthen the strategy and the theory of the work, but also you're right that people need to be mobilizing across groups, not in silos and not just within the context of nation states, but as you say, across uh across across borders and across political movements. And I think this is where, I guess, the people's health movement um, is, is is strong in that sense that it is a global people's uh, health movement. So I'm going to turn it over to Shada for examples of popular organizing and community actions in um, Palestine, and then uh, we'll close off uh, today's uh, podcast.
1: Okay, thank you. Um, yeah. Uh- you know that uh, in Palestine, uh, the uh, civil society, or the organization, and the movement uh, considered uh, they are uh, powerful and they are strong because um, uh, historically they are exist before the Palestinian Authority. We done our work since long, long time. So we have, uh, and uh, most of our work is before Oslo and before Palestinian Authority is to steadfasten our uh, people and to meet their needs. And when the Palestinian uh, Authority came, they received a very um, weak healthcare system because most of the budget uh, was located for the Israeli side. And for the Palestinian, they have a very minimal. So the, in the hospitals, the clinic it was very poor, with very poor services. The best services were provided by NGOs and the private, Palestinian private sector. So we continue from the history that we learned. We continue that we are responsible uh, as a civil society organization uh, and we are not homogeneous uh, organization. I mean, there is an elite uh, organization, desktop organization, and we are, and there is also grassroots uh, organization who are uh, 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 coming from the people, working with people and uh, Uh, Doing all the advocacy work by people, and uh, and uh, uh, this is uh, the the COVID. um, uh, I mean, uh, uh, helps us uh, a lot in uh, evaluating uh, ourselves. Our uh, evaluating ourselves as an organization. What is my contribution? What I'm doing? I mean, what I should do now? How I should? What kind of techniques I should use to? met the need and the basic needs of our uh, people. That's why the most of uh, needs that provided for uh, our people, for the poor, for the people with disability, for women was the NGOs, uh, was the grassroots organization. Uh, We did like, we have this kind of clever tactics that uh, because we are in, in, in poor area, we work there, so we have the connection with the, with the people. So we can understand the map of the village, who is poor and who is becoming more and more poor. Uh, and this make us that uh, uh, with a quick survey by, by telephone, uh, for example, health work committee, uh, we find all the, all, most of the organizations they want to distribute this, uh, sterilizers, gloves, and uh, these things. So we decide to do something different is this what they need exactly, our people, the, the people with disability, the elderly people? So we start to, uh, to make phone calls with uh, groups of uh, women who are disabled. You, you will be surprised what kind of uh, needs they, they address, different needs. This is the, the way that if you want to, to work, if you want to succeed, you should listen to the people. You should listen to their needs. You should not put. Uh, 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 you should not uh, practice your assumptions. That I know, as an expert, medical or activist, I know people. They need one, one, two, three. No, they don't need one, one, two, three. If you ask them, they will say something different. So this is the first. This is one of the lesson, important lesson learned, because there were an, an overlap between the uh, uh, distributing this kind of resources, and I consider this as a waste, is not well utilizing of the resources, uh, and you should customize your work according to the people needs. The the second thing that uh, it was uh, excellent, yes, exactly that we work with uh, organization, with people, with networks that since years, we don't have that much strong relation with them. Like uh, now uh, you can find uh, uh, NGO sector, uh, take care of education, uh, women uh, sector, uh, health, all of them, there is. Uh, we found there is a connection between us because when you go to the house, there is a problem in the education, there is a problem in the health, there is a problem in the economic status. So you should work in the needs as a holistic approach. But you but you should be as an together as a one unit, and each one has his own responsibility. Uh, uh, the NGO also, uh, and we are proud that uh, uh Palestinian Authority they close all the primary health care center. The most important places are the primary health care centers because they are exist in the villages, they exist in the uh, remote area, but hospitals. They are important, but but not every person can reach the hospital in this quick matter. And this is one of the major fault and mistake done by uh, the government. Who compensate this? The the NGOs. The NGOs, because we are in the remote area, we insist to continue the work because we will not uh, because of COVID, we, don't, we should take care of the pregnant woman. We should take care care of the children, malnourished, anemic children. We should take care of uh, the elderly people, disabled people. Nobody, nobody uh, give them just... They need reassurance. They need just to call them and uh, to ask them, what do you do, know, how you are? Because they are forgotten by the public health care uh, system. And that's why we try to prepare ourselves as a health NGO to take all these measures, the protective measures that we should, the clothes, the the tent to to screen them. And this is done by the NGO, not by the governmental part. We know and we appreciate the governmental part for their work in the hospital. But at the same time, you are talking about public health issue. We don't want to cover this issue. and to raise other problems because chronic disease patient, they need follow-up. Right, right. So not all, they, they do not need only medication, but they need the, uh, a follow-up in this uh, regard. Uh, also um, uh, in term of, uh, of, of movement, uh, many NGOs uh, try to build the capacity of uh, leaders and uh, youth groups mm-hmm. in their communities to be an educator, uh, to take an action, to do initiatives. And I, I guess that uh, the COVID uh, helps us as a Valentinian to revive again the voluntary concept, the voluntary value. Now, before that, always we send in our website, we need volunteers, nurses, students, doctors, activists, people, they do not, they want work, they want money. But now, Always, we have. Uh, I mean, uh, they, uh, a lot of youth uh, they send us, we want to, to work with you. We want to be a volunteer with you. Now we have a, a program for the volunteer. And we uh, want to, re- uh, uh, the concept of volunteerism should revise, revived again by the COVID, which is, I mean, founded and something positive. Uh, people, they should feel that how to find a solution for their uh, small for their community. Uh, it's, this is part of the resilience: resilience to COVID, resilience to occupation, resilience to apartheid. How we are, uh, uh, we can find a solution uh, by uh, uh, to do solidarity to each other. And who should take the lead? The the youth, the women, the groups there. Uh, uh, we work with them. And uh, if they need uh, like some supplies, we give them supplies. But we we work with them how to think to find the resources inside their communities. Uh, uh, this is a beauty of work, uh, and uh, I guess uh, uh, it's very interesting. Um, I don't want to say during the COVID, uh, it's closed for two months uh, every day. I wake, uh, I slept and I was waiting when I will be, become six o'clock in the morning because I want to go to the work. Mm. I never stay at home during COVID because really I interest the new way we will start to work with. Right, right. And, uh, uh, the techniques we were used and how, uh, and uh, um, you work also not only with, uh, with people, yes, you should do work in advocacy. We uh, get used of this COVID to uh, to say that stop. It's enough. We need a, we need a, a, a health insurance that are it is that is this health insurance should be national one and obligatory one because because twenty one percent of Palestinian people they do not have any kind of health insurance. Right. So it is time, and now we have a big campaign. During COVID, we start talk about this issue and discuss this issue. And people now they are aware more when you want when you are talking about uh, rights, about right to health. They, from the, their experience of COVID, this concept become more understandable for them. So they are ready to be a pressure group. They are ready to work with you, because the epidemic. Uh, of uh, the pandemic and the epidemic of this COVID, it's the day li- the, the day talk of every people. So you should get the benefit of this moment. Yes, to talk yes. about rights, to talk about the human rights, the connections of uh, rights together: right to education, right to health, right to freedom of thought, freedom of uh, opinion. Because during the COVID, the violation coming from Palestinian authority and from Israeli side. Many uh, uh, freedom—I uh, mean, thoughts or uh, uh, media professionals, because they they write on the fair, in the Facebook, they were in jail from mm-hmm. Palestinian authority, not only from the Israeli side. So they get the benefit of emergency law enforced on the floor to uh, to do this kind of violation. So yes, as yes. said, it's a political issue economical issue and uh, we, as an activist, we should uh, uh, conduct more uh, awareness, uh, explanation for our people, the behind causes, the behind effect of these things that happening and start to work on against privatization with uh, obligatory Uh, insurance system, social security system built on justice for all uh, without any discrimination.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Shada. Um, I want to thank you both uh, from Palestine to South Africa uh, for your important and amazing insights in this very time. Shada, you're leaving us to think about people's needs, listening to people's needs over profit, uh, building stronger movements, uh, holistic approach, to dealing with this crisis, building capacity, and most of all, solidarity. So I just want to thank you, Shada and Mark, again, uh, for this really, really insightful conversation. Um, and we'd also like to thank the Elphanoon Popular Dance Troupe in Palestine for their music. Um, and if you want to hear more, just check them out on SoundCloud uh, at Elphinoon. Um And to all our listeners, we also just want to... Uh, let you know that our next episode is going to be featuring uh, Jung Woo Kim from the People's Health Institute in South Korea. Uh, We will look into the realities of public health in South Korea and how the pandemic is being used to promote and whitewash policies we should never accept. So please stay tuned for uh, episode three um, and um, tune in. Uh, Take care.